Constantinople has fallen, and all across Europe, ancient vampires known as Methuselah rise to claim vast territories as their own. This is the War of Princes, where the political maneuvering of old stand side by side with the armies of ghouls and canines clashing in the night. But vampires are not the only ones making this land their own. In the wild places, the Guru have their cairns. Mages have ancient sites of power for magic. The Shadow Inquisition has risen to eradicate the enemies of God. And the enigmatic Fae have their own plans. Welcome to the Dark Ages. Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to episode 10 of season 2 of the World of Dark Ages podcast, a look at gaming in the medieval world. My name is Jacob. And I'm Peter. So, is uh, Sweden warming up? Uh, yes, it is, actually. It's uh, uh, it's uh, turning out to be quite nice, uh, as it usually does around the time of nailing carpenters to a piece of wood, uh, also known as Easter. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that the weather will will uh, keep being nice because next weekend um, me and podcast dogger and girlfriend and some other people are taking a hike in the woods. So uh, last year we did the same thing about the same time of year and then we had all four seasons in one afternoon. <laughs> Hopefully we won't get that one. Well, uh, if you bring your Vivaldi, you can have all four seasons at the same time. You know, you just have to find um, a speaker to play it on. Um, <laughs> yeah, th- this was this was more the, the immersive Nordic LARP experience of, of the four seasons with, with oh. the side, sideways rain and snow, uh, which was quite interesting. <laughs> in uh, in Denmark, we have uh, we have hit allergy season so if i sound like i have a cold it's because the allergies have started uh, and if i start nodding off midway through this it's because i've taken my first antihistamines and the first couple of days i take antihistamines i get really really tired but i uh, i'm hoping that it's not going to be as bad this year uh, last couple of years it's actually been been quite good but the weather is really nice so once i finish recording this my wife and i are going to go for a walk and enjoy the fact that we have the rest of the week uh, as holiday so that's going to be really really nice nice yeah well last time we started dark ages inquisitor and today we finish it starting with art i really don't have much to say about the art in the second half of the book the chapter dividers still look warhammer for good and bad while the rest of the art is general good generally good in my opinion so are there any pieces that stand out to you uh yeah there there is one on page 153 which um speaking of uh, it's it's not even warhammer it's it's more something out of a conan comic with <laughs> with this really like uh, creepy dude hugging a woman who's not she's not wearing a chainmail bikini but she's wearing some kind of of bikini top and yeah it looks nothing like anything from from history um but but yeah except from that one there is some quite cool one on on page 163 there is uh, a really it's it's just a huge monster attacking some poor random bloke uh and it just looks cool because you can't really see what it is and uh and is it supposed to be a werewolf is it a yeti is it i don't know but it's it's huge and it's scary so i like that one um but but yeah except for those uh, minor uh, comments i i agree with what you said yeah uh so we dive straight in with chapter four which is character creation 
Uh, and characters are created following the mortal template. So with less attributes and abilities, but more freebies. I don't really have any options here one way or the other. Inquisitors are supposed to be mortals, though you can say that maybe then mages should be made this way because they're also mortals. But yeah, it's it's a choice and I don't think it has that great of an effect. Um, two really good things in the beginning of the chapter um, are the sidebar saying that characters should really be made together so the group gets together to create the characters, which is something I am a huge supporter of. I really think that unless there's a very specific reason not to, I think you should always create characters together in a group so that, that you can talk to the other players and get a... a a group that has a good group dynamic and that support each other. Uh, the second thing is that it's it's a section called Thinking Medieval, and uh, it states that, yes, Inquisitors are intolerant of anyone not Catholic, Christian, and no, you cannot play a member of the Shadow Inquisition if you're a pagan or, a, or an atheist. Um, it, it stops short of outright saying, you signed up to play a game called Dark Ages Inquisitor. What do you expect? Yeah. But it's kind of implied. <laughs> yeah, ex exactly. And um, I, I think I, I think there, like you, you could probably use this to to switch around to use like the basic ideas and and do something more. Like, if I'm not mistaken, hunter um, in in the modern day story is that you're just someone hunting supernatural things, whether you're on. Uh, X-File style FBI agent or if you're just some the, the crazy guy on the street who, who um, has seen the truth or if you're an actual religious person uh, but considering the setting for Dark Ages Inquisitor and it being focused on the Shadow Inquisition it makes a lot of sense that uh, that, that you are actually a Catholic Inquisitor because that's the game yeah, exactly. And this ties into a discussion that's been going on the last couple of years, and I don't think it's something that we need to get into, but there is this whole thing with if you're playing in a historical setting, especially the further back you go, the more restrictive things get. And obviously, that you know, I can understand that if, for example, you're playing in the Middle Ages, there's a lot of things that is uh, anywhere from difficult to impossible for a female character to portray whereas there's nothing really f that male characters cannot portray because you can say that, well, men can't be nuns, but they can be monks, and that is the male equivalent. So there's this whole discussion of what should be done, should you be inclusive, and others are saying, well, that's going to ruin the the uh, historical accuracy. And like I said, it's not a discussion I want to get into, but this one specifically says, look, it is the Shadow Inquisition, it is an arm of the Catholic Church as set up, you're not going to be part of that if you are officially a pagan or an atheist because that just makes absolutely no sense. And as always, you, if you run this, can change things around. But the basic framework that you get from this book is that this is how it is. Yeah, and, and as we mentioned as well previously, it's it's a game about supernatural creatures and, and werewolves and people turning things into things using magic. I, I don't really think that historical accuracy is like on the very top of things. You can still get a, a lot of it. But if I, I don't think, and I think I mentioned it before, that I don't think historical accuracy uh, should get in the way of a good role playing session. So, like you said, if you want to change things around, you, you can always do that 
without yeah. like ruining the mood or whatever people are <laughs> complaining about. Exactly. So uh, the big thing that separates Inquisitors from other mortals is that they possess something called superior virtues. So just like vampires, Inquisitors have virtues, specifically conscience, self-control, and courage. And each, each of these have a superior virtue, so faith for conscience, wisdom for self-control, and zeal for courage. Characters start with one dot in a single superior virtue, and each superior virtue gives different benefits. Faith allows an Inquisitor to resist callousness, something we'll get to shortly. Wisdom resists mind and emotional control, and zeal resists supernatural fear. Uh, Inquisitors also have piety, which is their version of the road of humanity, but obviously focused on being a good Christian, as well as conviction, which is their quote-unquote resource points, like blood for vampires and quintessence for mages. Uh, if they gain too many conviction points, they might get uh, callous, as mentioned before, which is tied to their nature and imparts a negative impulse. They also have a single uh, orison, a minor effect of their faith, and they can choose to have access to their order's expression of faith. If they do so, they also start with a curse. Sounds like a lot. Yeah, that's what I thought. There is so much to keep track of. In my yeah. opinion, too much. It looks to me like it would get extremely complicated with a lot of roles and a lot of bookkeeping. Yeah, I I agree. I, I think I read the, the parts that you just went through. I think I read them at least three or four times. And, and it's still like... I'm I'm not confused, but I think I need a flowchart to, to play, be able to play this game properly. And, and the thing is that... I, I don't think that it's um, uh, like if you get into it, if you start playing and you, you start playing around with it and you start getting used to the rules, I don't think it's that complicated of a system. But like it's it's a learning curve. And if you if, if you just want to try a game of, of Dark Ages Inquisitor or, or like that's going to be a problem, you're going to need like a, a, a sheet sheet or or someone helping you out, or a nice storyteller who keeps track of things for you, because, yeah, there, there's a lot of things, and I'm still not sure that I've grasped how the different things interact with each other, and when I should use what, and roll roll for what using which dice pool. So, so yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it, it's, it's not easy being a, a Catholic Inquisitor, Inquisitor apparently. No, I think the problem that you also point out is there is a high bar to clear, uh, a high entry bar to clear. Mm. You have to understand a lot. Like you said, once you get playing, you might understand it, but you also might not. And that has nothing to do with intelligence or ability, but there are people who don't really want to expend the energy to get into a lot of numbers and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. I've played uh, Pathfinder and Dungeons and & Dragons with people where... I've sat down and just made a very specific cheat sheet for them to use so they know specifically in which situation, what do I roll, because there's just so much. And I'm the kind of person who normally I, I get into all of this and I learn it by heart, but that's just the way that it works for me. And with this, I figure if I spent a, more time reading it and more time investing energy into it, I would be able to... Ha have it you know on the backbone 
but it's it's a lot to understand. So we get two new skills, torture and interrogation, and five new backgrounds, which are chapter house, exposure, flock, holy relics, and rank, which is specifically rank in the shadow inquisition. Mm. If we start with the new skills, I don't feel they're necessary. We already have other abilities, so is it really necessary to have these two as well? I feel that interrogation is already rolled into empathy, intimidation, and subterfuge, and I think torture could be handled with a merit tied to something like intimidation and or medicine. Yeah, well, I, I think that if you're going to have a new skill, you could you could just roll interrogation and torture into the same one. Um, I, I agree that none of them are really needed. Like you said, you can use, like torture could be a, a specialization for, for um, intimidation and interrogation could be a specialization for... Uh, for empathy but if if you like if you really want to add some new skills into your cool new inquisitor game then i just have them be the same and an interrogation could have uh, a specialty that is called torture uh, but yeah i i agree they're a bit superfluous yeah especially since as we pointed out last time in the middle ages there wasn't that much difference between interrogation and torture. In most places, interrogating someone other uh, than a noble, in most cases, also meant torturing them. And, and in some cases, even nobles could be could be tortured during an interrogation. It was just thought that you kind of had to imply some level of torture in order for an interrogation to actually be effective. Mm. As for the backgrounds, Chapter House is the domain backgrounds. Exposure is prior experience with supernatural evil, and flock are people you can pray with to regain conviction, your energy. Rank is weird, since you're supposed to start off as beginning inquisitors, so having more than one dot makes little sense. It seems to have just been included for NPCs, or if you want to start off with more experienced characters, then you can have a higher rank. Holy Relic is just what it says, sacred objects, and here are the books makes one of the classic and infuriating mistakes of White Wolf books. According to the rules, you can, once per story, roll the rating of a relic to regain conviction. In addition, higher level relics have specific effects of their own, and weapons have special abilities. They then refer you to the next chapter for some examples, since the examples in the dots themselves just say what type of relics you might get, not what special powers that they have. And if you then go to chapter 5, there's a grand total of four relics shown as examples. None of them are given a dots rating, and only two of them are actually given any powers in addition to a background about the relics. So you literally have no examples except for weapons where you do get a list of powers that they have. Which means that unless you and or your storyteller wants to design relics, the only thing that makes sense is to take weapons and... I have to say, when I buy a game book, I don't really expect to then have to do some of the work of the writers uh, for them, uh, especially since I might not know the system well enough to design balanced relics. Uh, so yeah, this kind of thing annoys the hell out of me, Randover. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. It's it's like you're you you don't expect to have to figure out like the the, the spells for your cleric if you're playing D and D or or make up your own disciplines if you're playing a vampire so so yeah it's it, it's a bit annoying uh and especially like you said it, it doesn't even have to be that uh that you can't figure out a, a balanced relic it's it's kind of similar to 
uh, gangrel um, animalistic features, like after a while you're going to run out of ideas and, and you, if you play this game a lot, you're going to end up with the same uh, Inquisitor group that has like, someone's going to have a, a piece of the Holy Cross, someone's going to have a Holy Sword and probably someone running around with, with the underpants of, of Saint Jerome or whatever. Uh, so, so yeah, it's... I, I, I can understand your the, the need for your rant. Next, uh, the next thing that is covered are superior virtues. And we've mentioned what they do, and then there's conviction. And this is where I really disagree with the game design. People familiar with how Hunter the Reckoning works will recognize uh, how this works. Conviction points are spent to activate certain uh, blessings, that is faith powers, gain automatic successes on virtue rolls, and... It is used as experience points to increase superior virtues and endowments, a certain kind of faith powers. The central idea here is that you can risk conviction when using faith powers. You spend up to three extra conviction, you get plus one die per point spend, and if you succeed on that roll, you get your gamble back plus one more. And that's the main reason, also, uh, sorry, main way also to increase your number of conviction points. Uh, if you fail the roll, you lose all the conviction that you have gambled. I really don't like the randomness of this. You might have people gambling on most rolls, and you might have people who are too afraid to lose conviction to gamble on most rolls. And it also makes it hard for the storyteller to plan games, as you never know halfway through a scenario if characters are going to be swimming in resources or going to be on their back legs. Plus, if you lose all your conviction, if a character loses all their conviction, they can't use their faith-based powers or use superior virtues to resist supernatural powers, which is pretty damn deadly. So you don't know as a game master if suddenly you're in a situation where the characters are incredibly vulnerable. Uh, obviously, you can then just say, well, it's your own fault, so now your characters die. But I don't like killing characters, and I certainly don't like killing them simply because some person gambled which is a mechanic that is encouraged and then had a bad role yeah and add to this the fact that your conviction is used to buy superior virtues and most face-based powers and you can end up in a situation where people who have been lucky in their roles are ahead of people with less luck which is not how i want to run or play my games if i was playing I'd know. Ex i'd want to know exactly which uh one of my roles have the lowest difficulty and then i'd only be gambling on those roles and I'd be gambling as much as possible on those roles and that also turns it into sort of gaming the system. I guess it's probably to add an element of uncertainty to the game because it's supposed to be a horror game but it just doesn't sit right with me. Yeah well in, in a way it's it, it is from from kind of a, a, a theological standpoint it is rather fitting that, that a game about Catholicism uh, kind of expects your demands of you to have faith in your roles but at the same time also punishing you for the the sin of gambling but but yeah as a as a gaming system i i agree that that you you shouldn't have to put faith in in the system so to speak and like you said there are kind of in a similar way to catholicism there are ways of gambling the system um and and I think also there are probably easy ways to fix fix this. Like there's 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 a fixed amount or or a limit to how much you can gamble and how much you can uh, you can gain from it. So that perhaps you will only lose uh, 
uh, one level uh, of, of conviction and you can only gain one level of conviction so you don't lose all of it or that you can't just like you said yeah I'm, I'm gonna try to pickpocket or, or pick the lock of this door that I know that I can pick and then I just do it 10 times over and I'll be rolling in in resources so so it's it's a bit strange that there is such an obvious solution to the problem, but they still didn't go for it. Yeah, it, it seems like they wanted to make a Dark Ages version of Hunter, and so they took the system from Hunter. And I didn't like the system there either. I can It, it, it goes against the fact that sto- the storyteller system has always said that it focuses on telling a story with less randomness. Obviously, you always have die rolls, yeah. but you never risk... Up, risk uh, losing more blood uh, in Vampire the Masquerade uh, when you use a discipline. And like I said before, my, one of my main arguments is that it makes it more difficult for storytellers to plan a suitable challenge and you can simply, because of the luck, of the, uh, luck or unluck of the dice, end up with someone who has a lot more superior virtues and faith-based powers than another character simply yeah because of the yeah. die rolls and I, I i prefer that everyone gains the same amount of experience points how they use them is up to them but that's that's my approach to it we end with some systems for the mortal conditions such as hunger thirst poisons and disease as well as some rules for torture and then merits and flaws i like the mortal rules i kind of think they should have been in mage in the mage book since mages get hunger and thirsty too as for the merits and flaws they all look pretty decent to me is there any of those you want to single out well i um i i mentioned previously that that i liked the i i really liked the the murnau um order and uh, and i was i was playing around with uh with some of the uh, merits and flaws and they like they they are they're actually quite interesting because you can have um there are some let me just see them there there are uh, yeah well i was i was looking around at the merit, merits and flaws and there are some really fun ones from a storytelling perspective like for example that that you have a blasphemous tongue and you even though your faith is strong and your hatred of heresy is great you cannot help but talk about god and his servant in an irre- irreverent way uh for example but then you also have uh merits like that your uh, you're you're very big in the church, so so you could basically you could do um, William of Baskwill from uh, uh, from in, in the name of the rose by by basically combining like you could have this guy who's really big and cool in, in the Inquisition, but at the same time he's also kind of uh, uh, an outcast or a, or a bad boy because he he doesn't follow the rules. <laughs> so so yeah, I I like them because. Um, you you can combine them in in very interesting ways to get everything from um, the kind of holier than thou quite literally uh, and just like yeah I'm I'm the uh, stereotypical like lawful good paladin from second edition Dungeons and Dragons to basically rinsewind the wizard from uh, from the Discworld. Uh, but in uh, in as an inquisitor, uh, especially again if you combine them with with, with the order of of the House of Murnau, uh, which 
again, it's it's just something cool, and I like when when a system allows you to do these things and play around and and kind of have this uh, almost contradictory um, characters. Like one is that you you like I said, you do have a high status, uh, but at the same time, you can have been a a heretic. So at one point, perhaps you were a Cathar, but then you. Um, perhaps you did get tortured a bit or, or something, but but then you uh, you you were turned around and you got saved by the the holy holy Roman Church, and and then you became a big shot in it because you were a very holy person and yep you obviously have connections to God that the normal clergy doesn't. Um, so so yeah, you can build a lot of strength and weaknesses and and cool storytelling uh, devices and plot plot hooks basically with. Uh, with these um, and and speaking of of uh, um, William of Baskerville from from Name of the Rose, there is one uh, merit that's called uncanny logic, uh, which is <laughs> like yeah this this is the Sherlock Holmes William of Baskerville uh, <laughs> merit. So brother Catfail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Him too. <laughs> Yeah. One thing that's missing here, because when they talk about earlier the Sisters of St. John, they say that one of the things they do is they have monasteries for inquisitors who have suffered long-term physical or mental damage from their fight against the adversary. And there are no rules for for inquisitors suffering that kind of long-term damage. But I understand why they don't have it, because obviously if your character ends up like that then they're out of the game either permanently or for a long time it's like the call of cthulhu effect where your your investigator has gone permanently mad and you're going to have to create a new character because your former character is in an asylum so i think it's it's okay that they don't have that because yeah you don't want to just say well sorry bad role your character's out of the story you have to make a new one or at least i don't like that those kind Mm. of games Chapter 5 are the powers of faith called blessings. You have orisons, I think it's how it's pronounced. Orisons or orisons. They are minor effects tied to your virtues. Then you have endowments, which are faith-based powers from the various orders. Uh, And then you have the holy art, which is theurgy or holy magic, which the Red Order practices, but which all orders can learn. And that costs XP, uh, experience points, not conviction. And it comes with rituals, just like the message does. I don't have much to say about these. Uh, I will return to these powers when we wrap up, but I'll say that the benedictions of the Oculi Dei sound a bit weird when explained because basically they say that they are prayers answered and it sort of feels like, well, aren't all the powers in a way prayers answered except for the Murnau curse? Mm -hmm. Uh, Shouldn't every Inquisitor expect, since they are fighting the Holy Fight, to have their prayers answered? So it's it's kind of weird that the Oculi Dei specifically have your ability is that your prayers are, are answered, but that's really all I have to say about these powers. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. It's it's a weird way of, of phrasing it. Yeah, I yeah I, I again the the system is a bit too complicated for me to to have like a, a really big opinion on it on them. Um, one kind of of gripe I have, and I can again I I see why to do it this, but. Uh, and and it kind of goes back to the whole um, everyone is everyone in the world of darkness is has supernatural powers except the guy <laughs> living in Arkansas, uh, and and like for for me I I understand why you need to give inquisitors uh, holy powers in a game where they fight 
since since the discrepancy between a, a werewolf for example and a a mortal being is is so huge and unlike um, the modern times where you can always kind of mitigate that difference with uh, full automatic assault rifles uh, you you can't really do that in the same way in in a medieval setting uh, so i i see the need for for supernatural uh, abilities even for the hunters of supernatural beings um so but that, that's just a small rant on on the whole thing in general uh, as for the for the powers themselves i, I again i it feels a bit weird or or i haven't been able to to get my mind around exactly how they are supposed to work and see if they're balanced or not i agree with your point that it's kind of weird that shouldn't all prayers be answered or or shouldn't at least shouldn't all inquisitors consider their powers to be prayers answered or gifts from god so so yeah in, in that way it's it's a bit weird but again it's it's just a convoluted system and i i'm haven't been able to wrap my head around it properly yet <laughs> we end with curses and this is a mechanic that i really don't agree with it feels tacked on like the writers decided that the characters need to have some drawbacks or some some uh, supernatural drawbacks much the same way that each clan has a clan weakness yeah. uh, it is described as the result of everyone having sin and ego but it seems clunky and poorly implemented and some of the curses are straight up close to unplayable or completely unplayable i think the biggest offender is a level two out of three so it's not even the worst level uh, curse that the Oculidae can have and it, this curse specifies that every time this character meets a stranger they have to roll appearance mm. plus expression and if that role succeeds the stranger now dislikes them the more successes the more dislike i do not understand how this curse got through editing and playtesting um but but yeah, except for House Moor now, where the idea of them being cursed is tied into the history of power and yeah. powers, I don't like these curses. No, uh, well, I I don't think you're supposed to like curses, but I get your point. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I I also uh, I, I also reacted to to the curse that you mentioned because it it kind of like because if you if you succeed in your role, then the bad thing happened, and I I guess in a way it's it's kind of like yeah if it's it's supposed to be something that you you can't get around by by just buying a lot of of points into a skill or an ability but at the same time well if if i'm making an an oculus um, oculus day character then i just use those uh, those stats as dump stats and build build the character around it so Oh no! I only get to roll two dice, and I failed. Nothing bad happens. What a horrible curse! Like it's again, like you mentioned previously, it's it's a way of gaming the system, and there there will always be ways of gaming any any role playing system or any game. But it's like you said, it it should have gone away with editing and playtesting. So so yeah, they they're just weird. Yeah, and even if you don't game the system, if you just say, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to accept that uh, I might get some bad rolls. Just imagine the group arriving in a new city. You meet the city guards. Uh, roll. There are two city guards. Roll yeah. twice. Then you, okay, well, 
they don't dislike you that much. You you enter uh, the city. There's a beggar. Roll for him. You get to uh, the inn where you want to stay. Well, roll for the innkeeper. Now roll for the serving girl. Uh, oh, you go to the church in order to talk to the uh, the people there. Well, now you have to roll for the priest. Oh, and there's a monastery. Roll for the doorkeeper and the monks that you meet. And it's just like, how many freaking rolls? Yeah are we supposed to make and it ties into what we said in the beginning with this being so complex because you have to keep track of so many things it i think i don't think the curses add enough except again for house more now i don't think it add enough adds enough to the game that it really has to be there and once again i've only i've only run this game once a long time mm. ago but I don't think that it's going to ruin the game if you just drop curses entirely. I don't think that it's going to make the Inquisitors suddenly overpowered or take anything away from them if they suddenly don't have their curses. Yeah, and, and especially since all of the orders have uh, drawbacks and um, uh, and what's the opposite opposite of drawbacks, but, but they have their own merits and drawbacks. Benefits. Yeah, benefits, thank you. So So you still kind of have that clan weakness thing if if that's the thing you're after and and you could like i'm i'm a big fan of the kiss rule keep it simple stupid like if if you can achieve yeah. the same effect with just role playing or or a merit and floor uh, or floor or or a background then why not just do that instead like just have the occlude have somewhat of a bad reputation so so that when you show up and you're recognized as an uh, as a member of that order, then perhaps the city guard will will think of you like, oh no, here's a, a, a troublemaker, or or the local priest will think that you're an uh, uppity and arrogant and and just wants to put them in place because they're they're not holier than than thou. Like you you can do a lot of these things just through role playing or with the tools you're already given instead of just adding more rule mechanics onto an already quite complicated or at least convoluted uh, system. So, so yeah, just do something else with it. Yeah. We end with chapter six, storytelling, and it's your standard White Wolf advice on running a game. Not much to say here for me. You know how this goes. There's then three short ideas for games to run. And I have to say, none of these outlines really grab my attention all that much didn't think they were all that interesting. Yeah, it's. I I agree. I the I I do like that that they put so much uh, focus on on mood and theme because um, yeah. it's they and they mentioned that in uh, in the introductory chapters as well because it's like this is really a game where the mood and theme uh, can be very important and and it's it's especially important that everyone in the in the group agrees what the mood and theme is like should it should it be uh like a a horrifying cthulhu-esque investigation or should it be uh like a a van helsing uh monster hunt basically so so yeah they, they do have some good advice there but but i agree that that um the examples they give uh, aren't really, or the, or the, uh, the example scenarios that they give aren't really that alluring to me, I think. Yeah, I also, like, 
I, I like that they include the um, the Children's Crusade. That is an interesting mm. event in history, and it's something that I can understand how you could easily tie into demonic forces. But I also think that you know they have, one of the um, one of the their setups revolves very much around vampires, and they spend an ordinate amount of time talking about the background of these two vampires, and you kind of feel like whoever wrote that wanted to write a vampire story more than an inquisitor yeah. story the second one the main the the main bad guy is an infernalist but once again vampires are involved and then the third one has a a mage and i i would have liked to see like three very distinct one that focuses on vampires one that focuses on mages or infernalists one that focuses on maybe werewolves especially like i would i would love to see their take on how to integrate werewolf into this because i can definitely see inquisition versus vampires that is the classic yeah, yeah. one inquisition versus uh infernalist and the forces of hell yeah i can see that inquisition versus uh fey which comes later yep definitely an inquisition versus mages even the um they're not the celestial chorus yet i can't remember what what they were called back uh in in these days but the the faith mages yeah even even they would get in trouble. But how would you do Dark Ages Inquisitor versus Werewolves? Yeah. Because how is that going to be anything other than this is going to be a fight you're probably going to be ripped apart. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Knowing what we know about werewolves, yeah. right? So I think they could have given some advice here that could be yeah, interesting. Be, because there are some really cool scenarios that, that you can do with with just a werewolf for example you can you can always do the kind of classical that there is a village that has um that, that has been plagued by a monster uh and and you can always do something like that and and just having the fight be against one solitaire uh solitary werewolf uh and and you can always of course throw in some some tragic connections to that uh, to to someone being a, a lover to that werewolf or someone being related to in to it and and so you get some um horrible kind of uh, like mixes thrown in like that um but but yeah i i agree that it, it would be cool if they could give us something that um that you could work with because otherwise the the werewolf is basically like you said it's it's going to be a a slaughter and probably the character to play characters are going to be the one on the losing end so um so after torture and interrogation it is time to judge this book yeah <laughs> history wise i don't feel the uh, the second half added all that much except for the excellent excellent section on how to think medieval so i don't know if you have anything like history wise to add to what we said last well, time well uh, two two things actually that that kind of popped out and and just um because I, I i did a thing where i i ended up looking up a bunch of things and rosaries the the kind of traditional where you have a loop and then you have a set number of of beads and and a crucifix on it uh, there when when this game is set, they're they're actually quite a, a novel item because uh, they were supposed to be the 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 story goes that they were given to Saint Dominic in twelve oh eight. Before that, you had prayer ropes, which were knotted ropes, or or just uh, prayer beads, which weren't necessarily looped and could just be a, a long string of beads. Um, 
and 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 so and and it wasn't until the the 16th century that that they became such a huge thing as they then were uh with with papal approval and and uh, more like advertisement from from the church that yeah these are really cool um and and there is also uh, which I didn't know that that um, uh, Saint Bridget of Sweden she apparently had her own kind of version that she got approval to use, uh, of course, in the fourteenth century. So, uh, so it's that's I I don't think it's it's a gripe that I have or that it's something negative because rosaries and Catholicism are so uh, kind of intertwined in in the kind of imagery we have. Um, of of the catholic church uh, but i i just find it interesting that when when this game is set it's actually quite a new thing um of, so uh ag- yeah. again doesn't really matter uh one other thing though that i i did kind of react to was that in the chapter where they they talk about different diseases and and stuff like that uh they mention a bunch of diseases including syphilis and I I don't know <laughs> yes. I don't know if it's been how confirmed it is, but like at least when when I studied stuff like that, uh, the the kind of like the 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 accepted theory is that syphilis actually came from the New World to Europe, uh, and so you shouldn't really have syphilis at at this point in time, and of course. It like your world of darkness might be different in that way from um, from the the real world, but but again, it's it's just one of those. It's it's the same where we had um, what was it? It was a scenario where where you had a poisonous plant that was poisonous to vampires, and it was used by by Asamites, But the problem was that it only grows in Northern America, so it's like. It's one of those easy things that you could just, like, come on, people, you you should be able to to look this up and and not include. It's it's such an easy mistake to correct. So, come on, seriously. Yeah, I mean, what what I've always been been taught is that syphilis came from the New World, returning with the crewmen of of Christopher Columbus's expedition, and that it was a great uh, part of the reason why Europe became gradually more prudish, actually, about sexual mores and nudity and stuff like that, because it's very much a a sexually transmitted disease. Uh, I just quickly looked it up on Wikipedia, and obviously Wikipedia take it with a grain of salt, but they say that uh, there there is both a hypothesis that it came from the New World and that it was present in Europe before the New World, but just not recognize the syphilis, but that there is better evidence for it having been brought over from the Americas. So make of that yeah, what you yeah. will. <laughs> okay, so after the history part, let's look at this as a game. <clears throat> so right, this might be a bit long, but here we go. I don't like this game. I am not saying it's objectively bad, but I'm saying it is not for me. This is not how I would play the Shadow Inquisition, and there's quite a lot of things that I don't agree with. I've already mentioned curses and the way conviction works, but there's also the blessings, and that very much ties into what you said about the blessings, because it seems like the writers went with the idea that players like having a big plethora of powers to choose from and and to have access to, like, like disciplines and pillars and the gifts of werewolves. 
And I kind of prefer just having true faith like it is described in the core mm, yeah. vampire book. And then maybe add a few more ways of expressing that just to yeah, have people have a little more power to do with. Obviously, in the vampire book, it's mainly described how true faith interacts with vampires. You might add things like, well, how does true faith deny magical powers from mage? Um, can true faith cause a werewolf to uh, return to their natural yeah. shape? So if you see a, a, a guru in crina shape, can you then use true faith to force them to turn back into human form or wolf form, stuff like yeah. that. That's how I would prefer that that the, the true faith was expressed. There's two main problems with the way these faith, faith powers are presented. One is that compared to true faith, the characters are actually pretty damn weak until they get really experienced, to the point where you wonder how the Shadow Inquisition ever became a big enough threat to vampires to actually really kick off the Anarch Revolt. Uh, with the basic true faith rules, an inexperienced but extremely pious village priest could be a big threat, while here it takes someone with years of experience and then the stats that come with it to be the same level of threat, so you can't have the relatively weak, inexperienced village priest who just wields a lot of faith. If someone has the immense faith powers to actually go toe-to-toe -to -toe with big, powerful vampires, they're also going to be extremely experienced people, and that that doesn't really fit with, with my vision of, of the Dark Ages. And I understand that some people might say, well, you want, when, when you have the Inquisitors as the protagonists, you might want to keep them a bit less powerful just for the fact that it's supposed to be a horror game. But also I think that you can definitely have it where only some people in the group have true faith, so the others might be great warriors, uh, but they're yeah. weak towards yeah. the supernatural powers. But also, I think you can still have the horror in it, because the way True Faith works, yes, you can keep a vampire at bay and you're not affected by their mental powers and stuff like that, but your True Faith is going to do nothing against the technically innocent mercenaries that they have paid to attack you. They haven't used any kind of mental manipulation, so your true faith isn't going to affect these mercenaries. So what do you do about them? What do you do about the poor innocent villagers who the vampire has ensured did not go hungry during the winter, so now they see him as a saint, again without any supernatural mm -hmm. powers? And the second thing that I see as a problem with the way this faith is, is described is, it is explained that these blessings are how true faith really works, and the rules presented in Dark Ages Vampire are a simplified version, just like how mage and werewolf powers are presented in a simplified version in the Vampire book, and then they get a full description of how they actually work in the, in the book for these races, yeah, quote-unquote. Yeah. But so how does true faith express in people who are not part of any order? What blessings does the Pope or Cardinal Mazzone, the founder of the Shadow Inquisition, what blessings do, do, do they have since they're not part of any order? So, so you get this weird thing with people who have true faith. How do you model that since these powers are rather order-based? Uh, it just doesn't square with how the world of darkness is presented. And some of these blessing have, blessings have undeniable physical and visual representations. Mages will eventually get hit with paradox, werewolves have the veil and a bit of an incentive to stay hidden, and vampires have the masquerade. But what happens when we have the rise of Protestantism? And some of these orders decide to prove the truth of their faith with powers that have 
100% undeniable physical visual representations yeah. or in modern times with the rise of skepticism what happens when they demonstrate these concrete powers of faith what happens when they take an ordinary rock and make it shine with actual sunlight and you get someone like oh, what's his name the guy with the, who had the million dollar challenge the the former magician oh yeah they're, they're amazing randy yeah yeah what happens when you then get him to use all he has to check it and he goes nope this is 100% proof of the supernatural mm. existing, existing because it it truly is there is absolutely yeah. no way that you you can deny that what happens then um i'd also prefer not having new uh, monastic and knightly orders created i think house murnau are fine and the okoli day are okay but i think you could have just used existing orders of knights friars and monks i would much rather play a, a franciscan or a templar rather than some made-up order, because I play this for the history yeah, of it, yeah. uh, though that's probably a, a minor thing. Uh, plus, I think it'd actually be more interesting and adding more of a horror element if not everyone has access to faith, like I said, be it either true faith or the blessings of this book. I would prefer to have a group of inquisitors be a mix of people with true faith and people who are just devoted but then bring something else to the table. They might be great knights or they might be extremely rich merchants who can add something that a, a simple priest with true faith cannot. In the end, it all comes down to this not being the way I would want a game of Inquisitor in the Dark Ages setting to be. So once again, this is not objectively bad, but it's not my style. Um, could I run a short chronicle using this game? Yes, but I would prefer to run it in another style. Mm. Would I want to play in a game using the setting uh, and rules of this book? With a good enough pitch, I might. But in the end, I don't see myself using this book, with the possible exception of using House Murnau <laughs> elsewhere. So... After that rant, I, I turn it over to you because I realize I ranted quite yeah, a bit. Here. Yeah, well, I, I agree with, with a lot of things you said. I, I disagree with some of them, but but um, I I can see the point of creating new, um, uh, new orders just for Inquisition to make them a bit more special. But but at the same time, it, it almost feels a bit... Uh, I don't know, Death Watch, if, if you're familiar with the concept mm, in, in Warhammer 40k, yes, where, where you, take, so, yeah. I, uh, you take uh, space marines, the best space marines from different chapters, and you put them together in a super squad, and, and they're the Death Watch. Um, and, and so, yeah, and I, I, think, that, I think that the inquisitorial group that, that they're part of is fits better as that kind of super group rather than creating new new orders um as as for the whole um like holiness actually being a thing or or true faith actually being provable um isn't there just like a, a general thing um or is this just a mandela effect that that they're mentioned like all over the world of darkness Sometime around the industrial indust uh, revolution, there's there's like this thing where magic kind of goes away from the world a bit because people magic yes, but not faith. And when you look at at how true faith is presented in modern day uh, Vampire the Masquerade, it is all passive effects that you can't really demonstrate because you can't really say, well, look, I am now removing the dominate effects from this mortal. Yeah. That that doesn't have any physical yeah, but effect, but there are blessings here that have a physical yeah. effect, and and they never say that that true faith goes ah, away. Okay. Only that magic becomes 
subject to yeah. paradox. But faith has always been something that that stays mm. there. But this is the first time where faith have undeniably, provably physical, visual uh, representations, okay, yeah. and that that's where I think it becomes yeah. a bit of a problem. Really, I, I, well, I my my thought was that perhaps the solution to that problem was that as you have this kind of of thing where magic goes away, the uh, the the kind of manifestation of true faith in invisible ways also kind of goes oh, yeah. away or yes. at least this weekend you could have that um, so yeah. but but yeah i i agree that like why do we have protestantism if if we know that that like the catholics can actually do perform miracles and stuff like that um so so yeah i i kind i i agree with your general assessment that this game probably isn't for me i i think the idea is really cool and i like most of of what they did with the different orders um and and again i think like you said as well that you might as well play, play a franciscan or a, a, a templar rather be, than being one of those specific um orders uh, from from dark ages Inquis- inquisitor um at and and at the same time a lot of it that that kind of turns me off from this game is is the way that a lot of the things are so convoluted and and kind of messed up it's yeah. it's i don't know it it's just it, it might just be that i'm not familiar enough with it but it's it's a rather messy game that that like it's a lot of things to uh to keep track of there's a lot of like different charts and like if my x rating is this but my my faith rating is this but then i'm also callous then can i actually turn water into wine or do i need to sit and pray for a week first like there's there's a lot of things that that can be solved and i think you'd really hit the the nail on the head with just just make everything a true faith rating uh, i i can see the point and and the use for some kind of path of humanity thing to just see how um how how cynical and how unfaithful uh, an inquisitor might be so that you just don't get a bunch of murder hobos running around but like you you could do a lot more with just a, a true faith rating and then you can just ask the storyteller like i would like to do this by performing this rite or a holy ritual or by gathering this many villagers to pray can i do it and then it's up to the storyteller to make a a, an informed decision and a ruling and just like yeah you can do this but then you might have to do that or you might have to sacrifice the finger bone of of uh, uh, saint guinefor that you just happen to have or whatever um so so that's kind of yeah sorry go ahead well, the thing is, like, when we talk about the true faith, it's quite clear that they couldn't quite let go of it because earlier, that's not something that uh, we didn't get into, but there are rules for holy ground yeah, yeah. and they have a true faith mm. rating. And and so you still have have a true faith rating, but now it's only for holy ground. And then they explain how that interacts yeah, with your and superior they, they virtues don't mention and anything about Highlanders fighting on holy ground. So, again, they missed no, the damn complete it, a, missed opportunity there. Uh, yeah, ha- what what happens when Highlanders fight right. on holy ground? But that also because that also leads into things like relics, yeah. because it's always been that relics, when they are true relics, 
have an inherent true faith rating. So if you have the actual real finger bone from Saint Whoever, then that contains one point of true faith. And if a, a Christian holds that, they have one point yeah. of true faith and all the powers that yeah. come with it. If someone with actual true faith holds it, it adds to their true faith. But now relics just, it allows you to regain conviction which is useless if you're not actually uh, someone with superior virtues and it may have powers but obviously we don't get a description of powers as as i ran yeah. about before so that loses something uh something as well so uh, yeah there are just so many things about this that that annoys me and that doesn't mesh with how i would like a game of of inquisition in the dark ages to to run yeah and and i agree and Another thing that I, to go back to the thing that we talked about previously, where you kind of have to uh, play a, um, a Catholic Inquisitor, I think that you, you could probably do a lot of cool things with kind of mixing and not necessarily kind of like celebrating or, or accepting different faiths or pagans, but at least tolerating them in the way like... Yeah, we're we're going to go into northern Sweden, and let's say that there's still a bunch of of uh, uh, pagans worshiping the the uh, the Asa gods uh, up in in northern Sweden for some for for storytelling reasons, and and the only person we can find to guide us there is this young Viking who um, who is a player character because the the player wants to play someone who may or may not then be saved quote unquote by the christians yeah so you, you there are rooms for that and and uh, and perhaps one of the other players really want to save this christian and and one one if you want a more of, of a bad guy inquisitor you can always have like yeah at, at the soonest possibility we're gonna kill him as well because come on he's a pagan like he he can get one chance to convert and if it doesn't take it immediately off with his head or, or burn him at the stake or whatever. Um, and, and you could yeah. also do like, we, we talked about werewolves previously and, and how they are combat monsters who can tear through a lot of things. Like, what if we have, um, I don't know if you heard about it, but I'm going to go on a sidetrack now, but to use this as a jumping off point, mm. uh, on the Eastern Front during World War One. Uh, there was at least a few documented occasions where the, I can't remember if it was German or Austro-Hungarian uh, troops, but they had to have local truces with the Russians to go wolf hunting because the wolves were basically <laughs> killing all of them. Um, and and so that could easily be a, a hunter scenario in, in the modern times. But why not have something similar like that perhaps down in the Holy Lands or on the Iberian Peninsula where you have a situation where, for example, Muslims and Christians or Christians and Jews or Jews and Muslims or whatever have to cooperate because there is a bigger threat and realize that, well, we can't fix this on our own uh, and so we have to take we we have to accept help from our religious enemies but at this moment the enemy of my enemy is my friend and so you could actually have a combined um group of of different religions but the problem then is 
we don't get the powers for, for example, Muslims yeah. or, or Jews or, or whatever else. Exactly. So you're still kind of stuck with it. If you just had a true faith rating, then you could avoid that because then you could just do the thing, but with... Uh, with with uh, Islamic um, miracles instead, and and you wouldn't have to try to to cobble something together from the different uh, powers that that uh, the orders have. Yeah, exactly, because the order powers are so tied yeah. into a Christian worldview that you can't, most of them can't be translated to a um, a Jew or a Muslim with true faith, whereas the three Abrahamic religions are close enough that the basic true faith powers work fine because, yeah, you can raise your hands and bring peace to a quarreling group. Be- yeah, that would work may for all the peace three of all Allah three... be, be upon you. Like, that upon... works. Yeah. Exactly. And and the, or the, uh, the peace of the Christian God, things like that works. But here, it doesn't work. So you... you it, it almost says, yeah... Jews and Muslims don't have real true faith yeah. because, as you can see, real true faith are, are the powers of Christianity. I know that's yeah, not but the it's, intention. It's a very unfortunate implication that they go with. So, so yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's that's one of the the things that comes from this. So, so yeah, I, it. I'm not once again saying it's a bad game. I'm just saying it doesn't no, work and, for me. And I'm just. I haven't check the list to see of upcoming books but I, I kind of doubt that there is a Dark Angels Inquisitor Muslim edition uh, or so <laughs> yeah there is there is a, a source book for Dark Ages Inquisitor that I haven't read in decades so maybe that has something yeah, about that, other that faith might solve we'll a see bit when we get problem, to it but, but it can so kind of to, to try at least try to, to kind of round this off it's it brings me back to to one of my previous points, and that is that one you could do all of most of the things with just with true faith and a bit of imagination, and two, like for me, if if you look at um, at kind of the 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 trope of mortals fighting against supernatural creatures, doesn't matter if it's Call of Cthulhu, if it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, if it's uh, Frankenstein or or whatever like at least for me uh, a big or Scooby-Doo even like a, a big part mm-hmm. of the, the kind of the thing that you're supposed to do is that you meet a threat then you have to figure out what this threat is because then you can figure out how to defeat it and in in most of these stories and, and in ancient folklore as well uh, the you just the, the solution is very seldom that yeah let's just kill them with a sword because if if it would have been that easy it wouldn't have been a threat to begin with so instead you kind of have to have a plan you have to figure out what is the weakness and and what is how do we exploit this weakness and how do we capture or kill it or or defeat it or send it back to where it where it came from and and to me that planning and and the the execution of that plan is usually a lot more fun and interesting um and challenging like can we get the the ritual together to to banish cthulhu or or uh Yogg-Sothoth or whatever rather than just like yeah i'm gonna use my holy superpowers and my holy sword and i'm gonna 
triple smite his ass using all of my conviction that I just got together. So like, I, I, I don't know, am I confusing? Do I get my point across? Like, I, I'd rather... No, I, I think I think you get your point yeah, across. I, yeah, I'd rather have you solve these situations without the superpowers. I, again, I see why you need them to kind of fix the balance. But again, like, if if you need a lot of faith to, to vanquish a demon and the true faith that that the player group has uh, together isn't enough, then just make something up where if you can get enough of the uh, villagers praying together, then all of them together might be enough to, to banish the demon. But then the demon's hordes are attacking, so you need a few soldiers to defend the people praying in the church or whatever. Like There are so many better ways than just superpowering it up. Yeah. Well, uh, I think our summation of this book has now taken <laughs> up just as much time as the as the rest of this uh, of this chapter. So I think we should uh, we should move on to the outro. Yeah. Next time we take a look at the second roadbook, Road of Kings. Remember, if you want to support the channel, we have a Patreon, and if you have comments, suggestions, or critique, pop by our Facebook page. And with that, Peter. Do you have any last comments before we sign off? No, well, it's again, it's I, I like the idea of it, but I think the execution could be a lot better in any ways. But I, I hope you have, uh, uh, I hope you finally get a good spring or that spring actually comes to all of our listeners and that it doesn't turn into second winter and, and uh, everything else like that. I wish everyone uh, a nice week and take care of each other and be awesome to each other that sounds like a very good way to end and so it is goodbye from me jacob and from me peter farewell and see you next time bye